2: Welcome to Cult Talk with Aaron Martin, a conversation, not an investigation. Cult Talk is a podcast that explores the realities of cult life, how they operate, who joins them, why people stay, and how some members eventually find their way out. Season one of Cult Talk will focus on a little-known cult called the Kobu, which stands for the Church of Bible Understanding, led by Stuart Trail. You heard part one of my interview with Todd Burroughs in episode 10 of Cult Talk. In part two, we further discuss what Todd's realizations were about Kobu, including learning to be human after leaving the cult. And we discuss whether we think Stuart was truly a sociopath and what the lasting effects of being under a cult leader's thumb can do to a person. Here's part two of my interview with ex-Kobu member Todd Burroughs. So, okay, I want to talk about something that I haven't heard from any ex-members yet, including my parents, because they retained their faith. Can you just toss the whole thing out and leave Kobu? I mean, there are some people who no doubt have left and decided this has left such a bad taste in my mouth for anything resembling Christianity. I don't want anything to do with it anymore.
3: That's a very interesting case. I've met uh, plenty of members who've done that. It works to a point. It's a way to get a semblance of sanity, but you give up your faith. The poison really only manifest, I mean, it manifests itself regardless because it's a belief system. But as far as the person who is actuated, It's a lot easier not to care, not caring. It gives you a certain amount of relief. But then if, you know, I've also met ones who claimed atheism at one point and then when they try to, you know, be a Christian again, in other words, it it doesn't it makes you feel better, but it doesn't get you where you need to go.
2: Right. So you think that that's not necessarily the answer, according to your experience?
3: Well, I, I, I think you know, there's good, better, best, right? Uh, Not that I'm going to ever admit that, you know, not having faith is good, but it is a way to get some relief to not care. Right. Um, So I'm not going to lie and say there's no benefit to doing it, but it's, you know, you're giving up so much for that sanity that you gain by not trying to be a Christian.
2: Right. You know, it's interesting because we're doing a lot of and which I love the inside baseball talk right now, because we're talking about people in the group and how can they get free from the grip and how do you move on from the group? But let's kind of pull back now because there's a huge audience listening to this who just is interested in what is going on in someone's head when they join a cult, when they live in a cult, when they leave a cult. And they're they're kind of looking at me when I tell them I was born in a cult, my parents were in a cult, like, oh my God, tell me the most salacious details. And I really want to tell them kind of know more the nuts and bolts of what all cults do to people. But I guess my question for you would be, how would you explain this to someone who looks at you like you have three heads when you say you were in a group like this? I mean, what were your, what what's your overall reasoning for this? Was it because you were a spiritual seeker at heart? I mean, was that it? Or were you looking for fellowship and you felt like you didn't fit in? And I don't want to put any words in your mouth. I'm just giving you some examples.
3: Yeah, no, you know, it's what a good do, question. What, do you,
2: what would you tell someone who's like, how do you even end up in a group like that? Because what I hear is a lot of judgment coming from from people who never get caught up in something like this, thinking, I would never do that. So what makes some of us go there and some of us not?
3: Well, I, I would say that some of it is just bad luck. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, very true. And, and some of it is uh, the the key thing is, you know, Jesus said that. You know, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. So if you think you're healthy, you're probably going to be pretty safe from joining a cult because, you know, you've got something in life that that you're happy with. I was someone who wasn't healthy. I I had a lot of anger issues. I didn't have a good relationship with my parents. Uh, sure. I also had uh, always had an interest in God, but the nature of Christianity is that, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus takes the people... Who don't have and gives them something. So there's that. As far as the cult, the way I believe God explained it to me was because uh, this, you know, this verse just kept going through my head after I left in '89. My little children, whom I be in much travail till Christ be formed in you. And another place it talks about how the mature have learned to tell the difference between good and evil. So it goes back to one of the things that Stuart probably did. You know, it, it was tainted, I'm sure, but he had the basics right. Is that when you get born again, you're a spiritual child? Well, think about a child. You were a child, right? You just accepted the way you grew up was normal because that was the parents that you had, right? Mm-hmm. And later on life, you probably asked questions and this and that. So when I got saved. Copa were they were my parents and I trusted them. On one hand, I'm angry with them a little bit or I've had anger at different points for the ones who lied to me because sure. th- there's a ton of deception and lying that goes on in the group. But on the other hand, I know that they were lied to and they were sold a bill of goods. So, you know, ultimately, Stuart Trail took advantage of the fact that new Christians don't know the difference between good and evil. And he fed us something that sounded right, but turned out that it wasn't. It was false. And that is how I ended up in a cult. I got saved. I received the spirit. I knew that I had been changed. No one could convince me after I said the sinner's prayer that I hadn't been touched. And unfortunately, my parents were cult members. Right. <laughs> uh, spiritually, just like yours were physically.
2: Right. And you're, when you're in it, it's very hard to see that unless you move through the, in, in your case, the years in my parents case, the years of seeing certain patterns emerge.
3: You see it because God is faithful. And even when you're in there, I believe he shows you, you know, or tries to show you the difference. But the spirit of of Kobo is no joke. It's a powerful spirit And the deception is very powerful. You know, you end up being twisted because you're being pulled in different directions. You know, God is trying to talk to you. uh, But at the same time, you're you know, you learn to hear a harsh voice um, and think that it's God. You're screwed 10 different ways to Sunday.
2: Right. Now, here's another question that outside, I'll call them outsiders, you know, have about cult members. Why don't they just leave is a huge question. And how do they finally leave or what makes them leave? And why do they go back? And now I ask those questions with parents who had personal experiences with all of that. Can, they,
3: can, you, can you ask me those one at a time?
2: Sure. Um, why don't why don't you leave?
3: OK, so one, you're convinced that that's where you're supposed to be. Two. You leave because you get discouraged because no matter how hard you try, you never get anywhere. What was the third one?
2: The third one is why do you go back once you do leave? Which my, my parents C, did. C
3: point C.1, point you <laughs> feel like that's where you're supposed to be.
2: <laughs> it's a circle, right?
3: It, it, it's a vicious circle.
2: Yeah, it is. It really is. So, I mean, do you feel like... When you left, it was just too hard because I, I read in your testimony how you did go back and then you left shortly after, or a couple years after that, was it for the final uh, time?
3: I only went back for the grace meeting once. Oh, I it. left, got but I, I most mem- mo- I, I I went back once more, but I didn't move in. I mean, most people who leave tend to go back once or twice until you finally get it through your very thick, d- deceived skull. That it ain't going to work no matter how much you want it to. And when I was backslidden and, you know, out drinking and I used to sit there and, and just rack my brain trying to figure out how I could go back and do A, what I wanted to do, which was be with Jesus and B, what I thought I needed to do, be in Kobu and have it work. And unfortunately, all roads lead to Stuart Trail, and he ain't going to let you be faithful. So I was I was constantly just gnawing the desolate ground, trying to figure out a way out of it. And there was none.
2: Exactly. Because you go back and it's more of the same. But it's even worse because you've imagined something different, I think. that's bluenile.com bluenile.com you know it's it's uh, it's even uh, worse like going back to something thinking ooh well maybe this time will be different and it's even harder to accept
3: my, my uh, Dave told me he was speaking with another brother recently who was in the group, and he said to him, the only time Kobu cared about you was when they were trying to get you to join and after you left to try and get you to come back. That was the only time that they offered kindness. And uh, I mean, you know, there might have been random acts of kindness, but overall as a as a rule they were really kind trying to get you to join and trying to get you to come back so we were starved for kindness so the fact that you know you hope against hope that you know because they're caring for you that maybe it'll go back to like it was when you were a lamb and you were happy for you know and I think most of us were happy because they didn't put all the pressure on you on day 1 you know you're you're hoping to go back to that happy place. And another thing God spoke to us and said over the years is that Kobu people are always wanting, you know, that that's where they met God. That's where they were happy. And they're convinced that something that, you know, it's like trying to break back into the Garden of Eden. It just it ain't going to work. So it's very sad because you have this hunger that is always unsatisfied.
2: It reminds me a lot of the arc of addiction, you know, how you're never going to get that first high again and it ends up destroying your life. But you remember and want that elusive first moments with something that wasn't to you known as harmful yet. And rel- yeah. and also to quote. Others, 12 step programs, relapse is a part of recovery. And I feel like that's in part an explanation about why you go back to something, because there was a solution in it for you at some time. But it grew to be the actual problem.
3: Well, it it made you feel good, whether it was good for you or not. Exactly is 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 another subject and you know i had drug addiction before i got saved i did you know i i dealt with crack a little bit after i got uh, after i left um i think most ex-members especially the guys got into drugs yeah. or drink or drink as a way to you know salve the pain you know i i do think that that the, the, there's that and they say that rehab i i was watching a, a tv show a while back about rehab and it's something like 75% of the people who go to rehab end up going back the failure rate is just astronomical oh yeah and that's without a spiritual component right If you read the best article on that on our site I think and one that helped me the most is Dave and a few other people met with Stephen Kong who was uh, he worked with Watchman knee uh, in the US He was his translator in the US and they met with him and if I recommend for every ex-member almost nothing helped me in my recovery more than that and and he talks about if you can you know that most people, who are in groups like this are wrecked for life. And if you can help one, you've done a great job, you know. And also one of the interesting things he talks about is the way to help Kobu people is to encourage them to be human, not to be spiritual, because you've tried to be spiritual and everything you know about spirituality is tied up in the Kobu way. And he says that if you just help them to try and be human, then you know, there's a chance if they can regain their humanity, that there's a chance that they'll be able to also unwind themselves spiritually from what was false.
2: That's very astute. That's I, I mean, I almost don't know what to say to that. That's spot on in my book. I mean, I, I see I saw that with a lot of the people I grew up with. It was hard for them to accept human fallibility or being, quote, of the world, you know, as it was called, thinking that everything outside of Kobu was evil, yet not wanting to be part of Kobu. That's very hard to recover from.
3: Yeah, you've got flesh, but... You know, every desire you have, you're taught is wrong. And, you know, everything, every desire in Kobu was frowned upon marriage, being intimate physically with another human being, you know, just even feeling happy. Right. You know, if you were just feeling happy, some Kobot will come along <laughs> and smash you on the kneecap, <laughs> you know, because you're not allowed to be happy. <laughs>
2: cobot. Oh, my God. I love that.
3: I coined that one in 89. I've had a few that have kind of gotten into ver- the vernacular, but <laughs> but I believe I was the one who invented that one back in 89.
2: But yeah, you're right. I mean, you, you'd be punished if you're enjoying life. And you've actually found a way to do that. It sounds yeah. like.
3: Well, and, and the other thing is the compulsion. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's that's why I call it Cobot because you know robots have programming yep and people on the on the website get really mad at me if i mention the factory programming we all got factory settings and you know it wasn't just a a a place where you laid your head it was a a a total belief system and you thought it was jesus and so one of the factory settings is to want to crap upon somebody else's happiness Dort was a, you know, he was a bastard. He was, was, was a huge just, bully. He was just a bastard, you know, just an unconscionable bastard, just evil to his friggin' core. And, you know, I don't care if people want to hear that message or not, but he was just he pursued you and wiped out anything good that you had. He turned out your pockets and threw all your change on the ground. I had a vision once there was a sister I knew and I, of course, won't mention her name. But I had this vision that there was this long path and she longed for him after she left for years and years. You could just tell she longed for him. She was a, a Stewart sister. And I had this vision of like uh, like a boardwalk and to the right and to the left of the boardwalk was just mud. And Stuart was on the, the on the boardwalk with this sister at his feet. And he was wearing knee-high galoshes. And he took her by the hair and took her out into the mud pit and pushed her face into the mud. And she was crying. And then he went back onto the wooden boards, took off the galoshes, threw them at her and and arrogantly walked ahead, leaving her behind without a care in the world. That's who, you know, that's who I see Stuart Trail as.
2: Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, do you would you classify him as a sociopath? Not able to feel empathy or human connection or guilt or remorse? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I would too. I don't think that's too harsh of a word for most cult leaders. I think that's kind of a, like we said before, cult 101. I think that's kind of what you
3: need to
2: even be in charge
3: of a group like this. He showed you just enough kindness to get you in the web.
2: Right. He was able to mimic some human emotion in order to manipulate you. Yeah. But it was a mimic. It was never real.
3: And he also was an expert at using false sincerity. Right. You know, to... Well, we got to do it for Jesus. We
2: got to do Our it for Haiti, for the orphans.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, all about Haiti. Oh right.
2: my gosh. All of I, uh, I was reading these you you listed or someone did on your website free from the grip, just a series of Kobu lies and I mean the list goes on and on. We I, we, all,
3: we all put in uh, we all put in a couple hundred on that list. It is tr-
2: amazing. You know, it's kind of like what's worse than one's worse than the next. But I was reading down just I mean, just this is just a brief five or six. And it's all about leaving. If you leave, you'll become pregnant. If you leave, you'll become a prostitute. If you leave Kobu, you'll backslide. If you leave, you'll leave God's protection. If you leave, you will die. Was this actually touted about or was this just internalized? Like all bad things will happen to me if I leave. Was that fear real?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's real. That's why we put it there. and, and uh, you know, most members, if they were honest, would say, you know, give the amen that that's true. He was so crafty. He wouldn't just come out and say it, but he would intimate it. Sometimes he would say it, but more it was about intimated.
2: And let me ask you, this is our kind of final, not final question, but final topic, because it's so recent. And it's such strange timing that I just started this podcast right after it happened. What was your feeling or what did you think when you heard about Stuart's death?
3: Yeah. Uh, a couple things you know there were prophecies about us going back and challenging him and that didn't happen i needed to deal with that for for honesty's sake for any who are listening out there uh, if you think you're going to beat me up with that, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put it out there. And it's it's definitely something that, you know, as far as challenging him directly didn't happen. But everything else I learned that helped me to undo the influence still applies. And I can't be false to that. So I would say, you know, I, that was my first thought. And then my other thoughts were that I feel like God had been showing me for a while that he was going to die soon In different ways. And that ultimately, as it relates to ex-members, he had died a long time ago. Most of us hadn't seen him in 30 years. You know, there's only like 50, 60 people living in now.
2: Yeah. That was my um, next question. What happens to them?
3: Well, they're going to have to decide that or maybe some other ex-members are going to want, I, you know, I don't know. I don't have those answers. Yeah. Um, But what I do know is that, unfortunately, you know, because we stopped learning from him a long time ago, but his influence was still a big part of everyone's life. So while a lot of people want to say, well, he can't hurt people anymore, unfortunately, the evil spirits that he put to bear on us are still there. So um, in some ways, certain things have changed, but in a lot of ways, nothing changed.
2: And there are still businesses out there, right? Under Kobu LLC oh, the, or whatever they are. incorporated. They
3: make, a, they make a lot of money. You go on their website and see what they're selling things for that they got, you know, for donations. But, you know, to me, that's, you know, the money doesn't matter. Um, the people matter. I'm sure there are going to be a lot of ex-members, even on the on the boards. You know, a lot of people talk about the riches and, the you know, to me, that's dirty money. I, I don't have interest in it.
2: And this is through the businesses of old good things that they still run? Yeah. OK. Yeah.
3: Whatever the you know, uh, look, I, I know what the setup of the finances was back in the day, but I don't know where, you know, I always thought that, you know, that'll be his last screw you to the, the those who live in to somehow make it so they can't get the money when he's gone. But then another part of me says the man never planned very well anyway for all his supposed genius. He was kind of a financial jerk. You know, that that's the least interesting topic of any that we've discussed. I understand that it has to be asked and discussed, but, you know, it's out there. Uh, there's probably a lot of it, but I really don't have much to say beyond yeah. that.
2: To me, it's interesting because I think finances are behind most of what drives a cult leader. I think that Stuart at the time of his death was, well, according to the what I read, about $7 million. And I just think, you know, my parents never had the opportunity to make $7 million in their lifetimes. And, it, it, and also that's real chump change for a cult leader. I mean, he's like kind of the lowest level, like unorganized cult leader out there. So I, I think you're right. He wasn't financially sound. He wasn't financially stable, but He certainly reaped a lot of benefits upon the backs of people financially who will never achieve what he achieved because of his abuse of them. So I do have a problem with his financial gains.
3: Well, of course. And and, you know, to a starving kid in Africa, a a piece of food that we would maybe sneer at, they would be would be would be their life. You know, before Stuart got into the cult business, he was very poor by all accounts. He lived on a school bus with his whole family, Uh, $7 million, planes, trains and automobiles on top of it, a harem, so to speak, Uh, living in a mansion. You know, I, I, I wouldn't minimize, you know, he 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 got what he wanted. Now he's going to have to answer for it. But I don't think of him as a low level cult member because the things that matter to me, like I always think to myself, you know, man, if I could just somehow I play fantasy football on DraftKings and, you know, if I could win the millionaire maker, plus what I've put away, I could retire pretty soon. Right? Like <laughs> right. that would that would be friggin awesome, right? Right. you know if 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 I could retire at sixty years old, i'm fifty I just turned 56. If I could retire, I mean, that would be just great. Well, you know, I look at people who have a hundred million dollars and are they any happier than someone who has two or three? Yeah, uh, you know I, as if you've got if you've got everything you want and need, I know that, you know, there's the the flesh always wants more. But I guess from a Christian perspective, you know, so I don't look at him, you know, as a a mid-level cult member because of the damage he inflicted and and the way, you know, the way he robbed from God and took, you know, people's hearts and stole them from God. I think that's high crimes and misdemeanors in my book. And, uh, you know, I get what you're saying, but I, I also wanted to give a counterpoint.
2: I like that. I like that you point that out because it's not all about the rankings of the finances. Yeah, that's true. I think there were a lot of lives ruined.
3: And if you're one person, you know, the Bible talks about how God uh, leaves the ninety-nine to search for the one. You know, if there's one person out there who's been damaged by Kobu who can't get over it, and you can give them a lifeline and teach them to, to that they can have Jesus without all the garbage. That the garbage was false and you can help that one person? I mean, that's gold. That's, that's worth all $7 million and everything else to me.
2: We'll pause here for now, but join us for the continuing story on the next episode of Cult Talk. Also, join the listener conversation over on the Cult Talk with Aaron Martin Facebook page. Follow at Cult Talk on Twitter and Instagram, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast from any platform, and leave us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. Cult Talk is written and hosted by me, Aaron Martin, and produced by Dan McInerney. See the show notes attached to this episode for all links to resources and social media associated with Cult Talk.